0: Hey, 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 and welcome back to Thoughts from the 305. I'm your host, Anne Laneta, and this week we continue down this wormhole of mental health. Yet again, we have another round of amazing guests joining me today. Please introduce yourselves to the audience and talk a little on how you are connected to mental health.
1: Hi everybody. My name is Lei. Um, I'm Lei Lewinski's son, and I identify myself as biracial, so I'm part Taiwanese and part French. Um, so I'm a third-year doctoral student in the Counseling Psych program at the University of Miami. I also obtained my master's degree at UM, and I've been in the community for quite a while. I worked as a psychotherapist like, after, uh, like, between my master's program and the doctoral program, and I'm also a registered American Family Therapist at in the, in the state of Florida. So thank you for having me here.
0: Thank Nice, thank you. Leigh.
2: Hi, my name is C1. I am a second year in the Counseling Psychology Ph.D. program. Mm-hmm. I also have a master's degree um, in clinical psychology as well, and um, yeah, my research interests and commun- clinical interests as well are focused on race-based traumatic stress, emotion, and community-based intervention.
0: Thank you, Siwen
3: and hi everyone my name is Ryan Schooley Um, I'm also a third year uh, doctoral student in the counseling psychology program at the University of Miami Um, i also just you know finished up a year and a half working at the Institute of individual and family counseling I'm kind of the the clinic that's connected to UM I'm excited to be here excited to be part of the conversation
0: thank y'all and I do want to you know be transparent this is gonna be this is like the third time that we're trying this because your homegirl forgot to press the record button. And that's the, the positives to being a one-woman show, but then this is the <laughs> negative of being a one-woman <laughs> show. So I'm checking the recording, and we're good. Red Yay. sound is coming through. Thank y'all for your patience. <laughs> so, right, let's, see if we, let, let's see if we can get into this. So, okay. like I had mentioned before, I really was wondering... I, I was going to put this question closer to the end, but I... It's really no. Let's not beat around the bush. This has been a crazy ass year. This has been a year of not only the pandemic and and some isolation, but just politics, uh, social justice issues, and all of that good stuff. And you know, as budding, you know, counseling, psych, you know, as as budding mental health practitioners, even though like you have that experience, you're in grad school right now. How are you preparing yourself to go back into the world with? everything that's been happening in in this ridiculous year
2: that's a much harder question (laughs) (laughs) like um with my roommate like last night or a couple nights ago we're just talking about like all the little things that go about into like transitioning it's just like okay so like i actually need to build in travel time i have to pay for parking at um now Mm. um going to the gym that means i have to i need to pack my gym clothes I need to pack a lunch um all these little changes and um just kind of like because we've been in such like a trauma state with the pandemic like it's been like a time of extreme duress and it's just like so I've been trying to take it easy on myself like taking naps and like and breaks during classes um you know like being really easy with myself and a lot of those conveniences
3: are not afforded once we jump back into in-person things
2: Mm -hmm,
0: mm -hmm, mm -hmm.
3: for me I mean one thing I'll say too is is kind of you know we talk about self-care a lot particularly in, in the mental health field and I think sometimes it can come across at least for me as like oh self-care like we're not going to change any systems at all we're only going to do self-care it's all on you to take care of yourself and i think there are some issues there but i also think when you conceptualize self-care as kind of a political act in some ways right mm-hmm. like in this hyper capitalist hyper driven hey you have to be working all the time you have to be on point all the time yes. Actually taking that time for self-compassion that kind of preparation of you know we are going to be back in person in the fall for school and stuff like being a little bit compassionate with yourself, taking that care. It's actually a political act in some ways to push back against this hyperdrive of capitalism, this hyperdrive of, you know, this go 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 culture that we have in the US, mm-hmm. uh, at least in the dominant US culture and and I think so like for me, framing self-care and self-compassion, especially in a year when, you know, connecting with other people, getting together with people, hasn't only been kind of taken away from us, is actually dangerous for a while. Right. And it still kind of is, and in some ways, you know, if you're not vaccinated, depending on depending on vaccination and everything, for, for a lot of people, it still is. And, um, you know, so I think kind of that self-compassion and framing it is actually a political action against this hyper-driven, you know, society that we have can be kind of a helpful
0: frame at least for me so right right thank you ryan
1: yeah i definitely want to reflect on that i feel like this pandemic is just not like a medical thing but it's also like it stirred up a lot of social issues and social justice issues and i feel like as a individual myself i'm living like a between a lot of intersectionality in society Mm. Um, i'm a grad i'm a graduate student I have to worry about like my, my progress in the program and also like my funding and how that would be affected by the pandemic and also how my working opportunities as an international person that would potentially be affected, you know, with the gov- the government at the time and, you know, with administration and the policy change and you know, I feel wow, there are a lot of lot of uncertainty up in the air, including I don't know when I can come back to normalcy and which is another concept that i've been reflecting on you know like rethink really about and at the same time how much care i could i could just you know I'm secure for myself and how much energy and i have to take up my patients and clients so i'm having a lot of thoughts and reflections in this past year about how i want to place myself in society system Know with my different facades of my identity and how I want to take care of my patients and clients as well. I keep saying patients because I work in the hospital, and that's mm-hmm. why I'm saying that. Yeah, and so when when the clients say, "Oh, I don't, I don't know when I can go back normal," um, I'm like, "Oh, gee, I, girl, I, I have the same concern. I don't mm-hmm. know either." Now we're dealing with the same problem, mm-hmm. so that does make me feel like, oh, we have this common ground of human, you know, humanity of facing these challenges. Um, yeah, but also I think what helped me in past years to help me um, really realize to to remove some expectations or rigid expectations as a type A person about the program training, to really lift that expectations off myself and off people around me as well, to give myself permission to not feeling normal. And actually, I want to be fully transparent here I decided to extend my stay in the program for another year. Mm. I think pandemics definitely helping me think about my own self, my own identities, my own priorities, and mm. how you know, take myself, take care of myself as this individual living in society.
0: Right, right. No was amazing um, responses, and I want to uh, touch on some of the points that y'all made with that go 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 um you're talking ryan that go 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 um culture that we live in as graduate students y'all are you know trying expected to see clients you're expected to manage these workloads but oh oh we have three papers due there's a group assignment going on but wait we're aren't i thought we were in this together quote unquote but are we not? <laughs> how how are you <laughs> navigating that process? Like it's, it, I, I think in this past um year, the fear for a lot of folks is, oh, you have to go to a physical office to prove that you are working. Yet millions of people were able to do that at home, and kind of debunked that that myth. But yet, in working with in academia, as working college students, there is still that go 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 oh yes where there's a global pandemic there are um social injustice issues that are being brought to light yes we are in the middle of the craziest political season in the past few decades but that does not mean that y'all need to stop because we need to keep it going so <laughs> what have been your thoughts on having to navigate that how having to have academia being like hey All lives matter.
2: I don't know if like y'all can um, back this up or this was your experience last year too. So like spring 2020, when it's like they extended spring break by one week and then next thing you know, don't come back to campus. Everything's Mm. virtual. Some of our professors don't know how to use Zoom. Every professor was making every accommodation. They were just like, you know, let's cancel those reflection papers. All I need is a final, turn it in the best time you can. Like they were so accommodating. And then we get to August and they're like, so you're good, right? And it's just like, no, no, I'm not good. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. um, you saw the summer and <laughs> I was just like, I was in a depression for most of it. You right. know, we can't just keep killing unarmed black people in the middle of a pandemic with no access and like making my usual sources for dealing with those types of thing, either too dangerous to go to or just closed altogether. Right. Like, <laughs> you know, and they're just like, okay, cool. Well all that and just keep going okay like we got a grant to write we have papers to write you know (laughs) (laughs) so um yeah so all that to say it was i felt it was very hard um and i realized i don't know exactly when it happened there was like a shift of like in my brain of like the only way i can do this is if i like do it my way if that makes sense and i saw this quote i think it was on twitter and it was just like you know you're gonna drop the ball sometimes you just Mm -hmm. have to figure out which balls are rubber and which ones are glass and then like really taking a critical lens and just like okay like if i miss that deadline that's a rubber ball there'll be another deadline it's just like this one that one needs to get done so um really trying to be compassionate with myself and also making myself like a priority um, my well being a priority, not an afterthought. Mm. Um, realizing that none of my professors are going to fight me over a late assignment. <laughs> I'm like, like that became my mantra. And it's just like, oh, I can't get this paper done today. And it's just like, they won't fight me about it. It's just like, I'll turn it in tomorrow. Um, so, yeah, it was kind of almost like changing that mindset, kind of like what Ryan's saying. It's like a political ad, and it's just like, I rebuke this go, go, go culture. Mm. I want to do this my way. And your deadlines are arbitrary Mm -hmm.
3: yeah i think a couple of the the most important lessons i learned over this past year with like academia too is this idea of you know the job won't always love you back the Mm -hmm. job rarely loves you back you know like (laughs) like in academia is a job right i think a lot of people that go to graduate school that try to be like the professor see this like this is my life calling to be this professor to engage in research and like that's great that's important you should be passionate having passion about your work can be a good thing but I think at the end of the day, like, it's a job. Like, this is a job for me. It's not It's not my whole life. Like, it's not my, you know, it's not going to love me back. It's not my relationships. And then something I just saw on, on Instagram as well, actually, is, you know, your, your job is not your political home either.
0: Mm, no. I think
3: that there has to be political work happening outside of these articles that we write that we stress out about so much and that we just put behind some paywall that only, like, you know half a percent of half a percent of people have access to and academics are out here thinking like well, we're you know we're out here changing the world with our beautiful words and our brilliant research and if you make that research actionable <laughs> maybe there's some stuff you can do but like you know humble yourself a little bit like recognize your own limitations a little bit of this work so i don't know that that's just maybe some lessons that i've learned that are helping me kind of navigate like Academia is not going to love you back, you know, and it can be a place where a lot of cool stuff can happen. You can foster a lot of relationships. You can do some work there and really engage with students, engage with people. Like, I love the passion of the students that I interact with, um, and seeing like the work that they're doing. Like that keeps me going in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. But, but recognizing there are boundaries and limitations there too that have to be set. Right,
0: right, right. Um, yeah,
1: yeah, for sure, Ryan. And I, I don't know. I feel like I, I feel like it was so paradoxical to me because we're in the counseling side field and I feel like the, the number one principle of this field is like you're a whole person you're not just your accomplishment you're just not your work mm. by the way, finish oh. this paper and by the way, it doesn't matter how you feel but just hand it in to me by today So, <laughs> yeah. oh my god, this is so ironic and I feel like, oh, who who should I blame for? I don't even know and so I feel like, okay, so the professors they're living under this system and they are probably been Okay, if you don't have this grant proposal today, you're gonna lose this money. You can't, you can't afford, you know, these people in your lab. So, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So, I, I, just, it just the whole, the whole go, go, go culture is making me reflect on the system. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, how much power I have to say no, I'm gonna do this, and I have to consider how much consequences it's gonna cost me, or uh, how much power I really have to set these boundaries and for me to take care of myself first. So, I feel like. Like Ryan said, the job is not going to make me bad. And I think thinking a lot, like teasing my different parts of identity apart from each other, like my professional identity is not my whole self. So who mm-hmm. am I outside of this professional world when I'm not uh, the PhD student, but I'm mm-hmm. just like, um, yeah. So I feel like I started to get like more intentional about choosing my priorities. And also, you know, to be honest, there's a lot of disappointment I've seen witnessed in program or in academia as a whole work. And also just put more of my energy to things I really care about. Mm-hmm. Like I care clients, my patient. i want I wanna help people, because I feel like they are too, like struggling somewhere in the system. So mm-hmm. I feel like, yeah, this disappointment is definitely helping me prioritize myself
0: think about myself as well but nice 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 and i don't know if y'all go another node to the to the internet i don't know if y'all remember or have ever seen that video of the why you always lying that's what i came up to mind when you were talking about so, wait, i'm in a counseling site program
1: exactly
0: wait
2: wait, wait. Yeah. every no. time the department's like oh we're here for you (laughs)
0: okay (laughs) (laughs) okay okay and oh my goodness gracious yeah there's so much in there so talking about more because yeah capitalism the flaws and the way that the you know things work in the u.s were exposed they were dissected and Oh my gosh, they were they were definitely found wanting Um, and people knew that there were these gaps people knew that there were these holes But now you're seeing it full-on like wait y'all are supposed This this global pandemic wasn't our fault. Like don't you aren't aren't you all the ones that told us we got our We we got support we got um, if I'm not working y'all are gonna help me out what's going on and so eh, that increase in stress anxiety you're you know with the evictions and everything that's happening in the community but one of the 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 topics that i've gone over with some of the previous um guests is not only that capitalism is a trap and now people are starting to see like oh shit yeah and you know talking about um lay when you mentioned um yeah this is not this shouldn't be and it was mentioned a few times this is not my, um, my work is not my life I am NOT my work I work but there's this other part of me there are plenty of other parts of me and funny enough we actually have to write a manifesto for my uh, praxis class which is gonna be oof, I recommend that if y'all can take that next time around uh, especially with Professor saguru holy crap but um yeah how do you um talking about like the other theme of the social injustices that i have also not it's not that they've and I, i i don't like saying that they've come to light because they've always been there there's been some news and some reporting on and you have a bunch of people that have been oppressed and talking about these issues for a while, um, two people are just starting to listen, um, a little bit more. How are you? And y'all mentioned, um, your different specializations and your different research interests. How does that, that reckoning, how does that, those movements, um, influence or have they influenced how you would approach clients in the future? I know I said a lot. Let me know if I, I can try to repeat stuff, but I forgot. I, you know. <laughs> mm-hmm.
1: I'm just gonna go ahead and share the first thoughts that popped in my mind. Um, So my researching just largely focused on like psychotherapy processes and outcomes. I would say before this pandemic, I I, I focused a lot on like common factors, like okay, you have a good relationship with your therapist, and you gotta have hope. So those are like some common factors that would really contribute to psychotherapy outcomes. I also I looked at intersectionalities, but not. As much as I am looking at them right now, okay. this past year has really changed my mindset of looking at people differently because they've been positioned in the system differently. Okay. And some people, they just have more vulnerability of being hit by different type of difficulties like financial difficulties or you know you know like um, discriminations or they've been treat, treated unfairly in their workplaces or they've been furrowed or, or or let go of their job so why them but not anybody else mm. so i like two patients they're they're in very similar situations they're both cancer survivors um but one of them actually survived and, and healed pretty 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 well but the other um given the similarity of their diseases, but the other person didn't bounce back as well. So I was really questioning myself, okay, what's different with the other person? And I really got to know his story. I know like how much of medical bills he has mm. to, get to pay. And like how hard he's fighting with the system to get his disability status. And when he was waiting to get his disability status and how hard is it for him to get insurance? And on not, not to mention he just finished uh, the Treatment and it's very hard for him to find a full-time job physically mm-hmm. all. So I was going. What would I do if I were this person like trapping those different stressors, like financially, or uh, I don't, I don't, I can't find a job because all my, my employers would expect me to like be 100% back, but I'm not there yet. And how about well, what I'm i waiting for the money from disability? and What can I do to deal with the system? Mm-hmm. So I feel like a lot of learned helplessness from. Person, if I were him to be placed in that position, so yeah, that just got me think more about okay. So what are some like intersectionality that could really contribute to psychotherapy outcomes? If I were rich or had enough money from whatever sources that I'm available for me, would I feel differently? Mm -hmm. Would I have more agency? Can I really say that person? Oh, you're not working hard enough to work this. I, I can't, I really cannot. So I would say all of these triggered by the pandemic or magn- magnified by the pandemic really got me to think about those
3: issues. Nice, nice, thank you. Thank you.
0: Anybody?
3: What, one thing one thing that comes to mind for me too is really this like tension that, that I'm kind of navigating like as I start in this field and kind of get into this field. Um, between like recognizing the benefits that therapy can have for a lot of people and like processing and kind of having someone to talk to kind of ourselves, being a container for people to process some of the issues that they are facing in their world, like how beneficial that can be, how beneficial we know that can be, with also just recognizing like the, particularly in the systems that we navigate, right? Like like mental health therapy and therapy can be such a helpful thing for a lot of people but also like that's not going to pay somebody's rent like guaranteeing mm. housing can also be really great for people's mental health, mm. health like non-partial responses when harm does happen in the community like advocate like having non-partial responses to that harm can be really good for everyone's mental health as well like mm-hmm. having free health care can be really good for people's mental health as well um food, you know food security all these things all these different issues so yep. that's something that like this year as it as it's kind of just laid out a lot of these issues and you know they've always been there but in just such a such a just such a their way just a way that's right there and easy to see um that's something that i'm really sitting with moving forward and like in our field as mental health practitioners what is our role in providing quality service to people continuing to try and fight to make our services affordable let's not kid ourselves and thinking therapy isn't also a business right mm. like you know and advocating for some of these more structural. some of these issues um, as opposed to just people come in and see us you know we'll, we'll make you feel better about it but then after you know you see us one one hour a week we'll make you feel a little better but then you're gonna go into the same situation it's gonna be a cycle that keeps going you know right. Um, right. So that, that's just a tension a real tension that I've kind of seen this benefit of therapy and just the limitations of it in something right,
0: right, right, right. see what see when you go.
2: Okay. <laughs> okay so I'm like for so this summer. So, like, I, I've always been, like, a very... Like, my anxiety is, like, just higher than the average person. And I've lived with that my entire life. And, you know, doing all of the... Um, what are they called when it's not medication? Like, you know, meditating, exercising, doing all that to keep it down. Out of the psychotropic medication when it got a little bit too hard. And then I remember, like... And then the pandemic hit, and it's like, okay, still trying, still trying to manage. And then... I remember we are in lifespan of human development. I flicked off of class, got onto Instagram, you know, to de-stress. And mm. then I saw the video of George Floyd in a cop kneeling on his neck. And I'm just like, one, why isn't there a sensitivity thing, like, here? And I was just like, you know what? I don't love seeing videos of murder on my thing without, a, like, especially without a sensitivity thing. And then we'd already heard about Breonna Taylor, we'd already heard about Ahmaud Arbery, and it's like, it's like, I it's one of them I can use my resources and process it Three of them is just too much And I sunk into a depression Thank mm-hmm. god I wasn't seeing clients Because like, I like I was sleeping 12-13 hour days mm-hmm. I was like, getting up I don't even know what I was doing I think I had one professor reach out to me well, It was kind of awkward, but like, it's fine <laughs> She gave me her phone number And like, it was just kind of like which is really hard because i remember making Mm. the decision and i know this is going around your question but it was just like that's okay (laughs) it was like so when that professor emailed me she was like if you want you can say something during class and i was just like no that time of my life is over the Mm. first 27 years of my life i have been an ambassador for my people because i found myself in predominantly white spaces Mm. and it's just like being like interest common interest let me tell you why this isn't cool let me tell you about natural hair let me tell you about braids let me you know be in that and it's just like that's over for me yeah. and it's just like there are plenty of people they have made podcasts they have made documentaries they have made movies with dramatic reenactments yeah. they have written books they have written articles they've written think pieces there is so much information out there yeah don't ask me about it And it's just like if you want to learn you can find and um that for me was like like it, it was just like really hard over the summer. I know like around that semester I was kind of I've always been interested in emotions mm. and with the labamen I've kind of been adding in the race-based traumatic stress to it. And I think that February I just done a presentation on a paper that I come out that year that the um like most people when you ask them like you know, have you experienced a racism recently? And they're just like, eh. <laughs> or they're just like, yeah, maybe one or a couple in the past year. But like, when you ask them specific questions, like, has anyone ever called you the N word on a message board? And it's just like, and like going to specific instances of where or like, have you witnessed something that was like terrifying like that? Has it personally happened to you? And when you get into all these specific instances, the paper, the article found that black teens based on average five instances of racial discrimination a day it's just like so having that in the background having all this stuff happen over the summer kind of really informed for me the importance of knowing what coping resources there are for vicarious racism Mm -hmm. and how that's a form of trauma as well Right now, the um, DSM-5 does not look at... DSM-5 is just like the book of all the mental disorders. Mm-hmm. And they have, for post-traumatic stress disorder or PTSD, it doesn't count if you witness something over the media as a traumatic event. It has to either be... Wow. It, yeah, it's like, it either has to happen directly to you or someone you know has to like be affected by it. But it's just like, so me scrolling on Instagram, seeing that video, that doesn't count. And it's just like, why would that be traumatic for you? And it's just like, oh, really? <laughs> like why, why am I thought be traumatic to me? Mm-mm. So um, yeah that's how it, like it affected me personally it's kind of affected my work to make it just more well-rounded um because like as we try to you know counseling sites we love to operationalize and conceptualize things <laughs> so like as we try to like put a definition around just being like we need to include the vicarious stuff because it's everywhere. It's everywhere. And, like, kids are being exposed to it because the internet is not, like, safeguarded against them. And it's having real traumatic stress implications. Yeah,
0: no, and I appreciate all of your responses. That, they, yeah, a lot um, to unpack in there. The, to that last point, I feel like the DSM, and y'all can correct me, but they they usually... They, they're like, you're crossing the finish line and they're over there starting the race. I mean, just a few decades back, being gay was on the DSM now, right? So it just mm-hmm. seems like, is there any type of, how to say, urgency to update the book? Because you have thousands upon thousands of people that are studying from the DSM. It's like, this is my, you know. This is my go-to guide i know that this is happening my professor knows that this is happening there's research here but y'all are still uh, okay okay is there any type of have y'all seen any type of shifts or any pushes to be like hey guys dsm y'all need to either have more it's like why why aren't y'all paying attention to what's going on are you paying attention then you just have to meet with meetings and meetings and then IRBs and here and there and there and there just to validate what's been going on and then 10 years later we're gonna have a different issue and y'all are just validating the stuff that we're going through now um have y'all seen any like shifts or any pushes to get them current on the issues oh ooh, yeah y'all yeah, don't see this but I see a lot of grimaces tell me what's going on i'm just
2: like what does the dsm have to do with what i do (laughs) like like, they're gonna do what they do over there i use it for purely insurance reasons because Mm -hmm. like otherwise like so a friend of mine in my master's program we talked about how we were going to be in charge of the dm DM dmv or dm oh my gosh, whatever DSM six (laughs) And we're just, like, we're about to change everything up. So it's just, like, we're (laughs) going to create a cluster of disorders called basically, like, white man disorders. And it's just, like... Because, like, what do white men always have? Like, the audacity. And it's just, like, you know, all the different ways that that can manifest. Because, like, that's essentially what they did with the (laughs) DSM-1. They're just like, "Mm, what do those women do? Ah, that's so histrionic. Histrionic personality disorder. Like, it was, like, 50 pages, like, a spiral book. And when people got mad, they are just like, why are you mad? And it's just like, you called me disordered. (laughs) Like You called what I am a medical, like, an illness. (laughs) Like, yeah, we mad. So, um i mean i'm sure there are pushes but it's such a political entity it's just kind of like you wow use it when you have to and then otherwise you just kind of
0: she said the audacity that that took me over <laughs> um, <laughs> And so <laughs> another thing uh, that was mentioned um the grind you, you were talking about a little bit in the insurance and the benefits the pros and cons of um uh Receiving uh, mental health services. Um, one of the conversations, one of the topics that came up in, uh, in my last conversation was ins- how insurance is billed and the limits to how many um, how many sessions you can have. <laughs> and right we were talking before uh, before we started, like you know, talking about building that rapport. And it's like, okay, so before twenty twenty went cray. Life was already complicated, so y'all, you're telling me that you had to figure someone's life out in the matter of, well, like, if you're lucky, 8 to 10 sessions? Is that still the case? <laughs> is that, like, how are y'all, um, navigating in the insurance practices? Is, is insurance starting to change a little bit? Because it is... 100% rooted in capitalism people want to get paid on the trauma and suffering of other people um, is it just stagnant? Um, like how would you recommend or if you have any recommendations on how people can navigate insurance, um, the, the insurance the uh, insurance go around or as folks that are about to go into the, into the world as doctors um, how do you combat the, the big bad wolf that is insurance i said we can cuss and insurance is probably that's that's a it's a bad word insurance <laughs> so how do y'all navigate like having to go and 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 i do cringe when people are like yeah i have to bill insurance and it's like okay so what if they don't have insurance yeah 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 <laughs> your thoughts on that
1: yeah, because I, I, I worked a year as a full-time therapist. I, I, I was dealing with insurance every day because uh, at the time, I was working with like a neighborhood kids, mostly in Kendall and homestead areas. I was like from low-income families or families have Medicaid. I had to deal with insurance a lot. And first, I want to say, this is like one of the least favorite part of my job. Mm-hmm. I hated that. I literally hated that. And one thing that really upset me is the diagnosis and also like ensure how many sessions. So it's all um serves this, this business model of like who gets paid and how many paid like and the company's gonna get You each time I saw a client at the time. But client never had a say. Like mm-hmm. how yeah, they could say, Oh, you know, I, I actually don't feel like eight or two or ten sessions could serve me well. I want longer sessions. Mm-hmm. Oh no, but you can't. So I feel like the thing that really upset me is um it, Monopolize the, the the whole service, you know, the field. Like nobody had a say except for insurance companies, or mm-hmm. maybe we if therapists could have a little say of that, make like a persuasive case. So I found myself did that a lot in the past when I go like one of my kids, my child clients. I called them my kids. Like needed more sessions, I would make up different reasons. Unfortunately, you know, I had to give them like diagnosis or DSM labels that I'm not necessarily a good law, mm. but I feel like okay, this is a procedure that I have to pursue it if I want to advocate for my session for my kid. Mm-hmm. Like they need this service, they're benefiting from it. But I really don't think this this kid has conduct disorders. But if I don't do that, if I don't give them a code, they wouldn't pay for that. Mm. So that's the frustrating part. And I feel like as a therapist I have to advocate advocate for my clients. And that's the bottom line.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Brian, I see you thinking over there, what's going on? <laughs>
3: <laughs> no, I, I just keep going back to this this political conversation on universal health care and how, mm. like, this is the thing that people just don't, like, a lot of people outside of the field don't know that that's the case, that if you, like, if you're going through insurance as managed care, where, like, some insurance adjuster is determining how many sessions that you're going to be able to do with your client, and and if you don't go through insurance, like, in our field, you know, in Miami, even, therapy can run you. 150 200 300 a session you know it, it's it's not like it's an affordable thing that mm-hmm. we're doing and, exactly and, you know and it's yeah i just again that's why i just i just think of you know therapy in a lot of ways is and maybe not in a lot of ways but i'm just seeing some some things of like the response that people are having to stuff is like you know if you're having a problem just go to therapy like she would on twitter someone's like you know kiki little response we go to therapy you need to go to therapy it's like well let's also like have an understanding of like therapy is not this silver bullet thing and it has to become more accessible and that requires the political will to actually make it accessible Mm -hmm. um i think that's you know and it's i don't know if i have any answers for people who are like struggling with it. I know there, there's are some clinics that, and this gets to another thing with training a little bit, and it's similar in the medical field. Like our, the clinic that I worked at, we worked on a sliding scale. We didn't take insurance. We worked on a sliding scale from as little as like $5 up to $50, depending on income and everything. And in some therapy, some therapists do that as a way to try and make it more affordable, kind of have a sliding scale model. Um, but But it's also a lot of places that are training clinics. So if you're someone who because you can't afford, you know, and not to not to knock the therapy that we do, but like I'm new at this. I've been doing this for a year and a half, you know, it's not like I have 20 years of experience where I can handle a lot of really, you know, difficult, okay? You know, I'm new at it. So people who don't have the means to afford therapy, sometimes see people that are newer, people that are less experienced, people that may not be as good at their job yet, no. and that's that's an issue in the field for sure.
0: Right, right, right. You know, I definitely um, work with uh, amazing organizations and um, they do what they can with the system that they work um, within or the system that they're trying to that affects the people that they, they work with and they try to manage um, as much as possible. And I have heard that, oh, if they don't have insurance, okay, we're going to have um you know this first year the second year uh work with them just it, it's what we can provide and, and there are uh, great points that were brought up and and, and when uh lay when you were talking about how having to finesse the insurance um the insurance process it's just like it's so wild to me where i work with youth in foster care right that's my um my research interests are on, in system involved youth and the um, I can't possibly tell you how many youth in foster care have been um, that I've I've interacted with that have been diagnosed with oppositional defiant disorder. I work with teenagers, okay. I work with t- with teenagers that have trauma. They talk back. They act out.
1: Mm-hmm
0: they're pretty much, like therapy is almost mandatory at the beginning, yet when actually speaking to, to some of the youth, one thing that was just mind, like, mind-blowing, I did not even think about it this way, it's like, what happened, don't just provide mandatory, you know, don't make therapy mandatory, what happens if I do not want to participate in therapy? Because like going into, and I've seen, you know, with a lot of the students, even the adults that I work with, you can't just, oh, yeah. Ryan, you were talking about, like, oh, just go to therapy. Just go to therapy. That's a completely personal um, decision that you need to make. And you have to be ready for it. You have to be ready for it. But then you have, like, you have people that actually need more service. And yet we have this system over here that's like, yeah, okay, you're getting a script. Um, you, you have ODD. You, you know, you have ODD. You're opposition, opposition to the fine. It's like, Teenagers, I don't know any teenager that doesn't talk back So but here's your diagnosis. Here's your medication Because therapy is you know the 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 healing and I'm not saying any you know and and Ryan you talked about like the the Pros and cons we're talking about pros and cons therapy. Yes can be a mat. It can work wonders work wonders, and I definitely recommend folks to To try it if you're ready to try it it's a process, but you have to be open to that process. But then it's also I did want to ask, is are we in a place where we should be promoting therapy as much as we are? Because it is a hashtag. I mean I, I use it all the time, hashtag mental health matters. But that doesn't necessarily mean that you need therapy. That's a self care and you know, you're we talking about it earlier, it's like being able to pay your bills is self-care being able to put food on the table being able to take care of your kids can be self-care so are we are we at that place where folks should you know be promoting it as much or does there still need to be there need to be more internal work um done in that system um before more folks access it or even and even access is just a, a ridiculous but more and more it's becoming more and more um visible to folks but is uh, is mental health is that system of mental health at a place where it should be um promoted as much as it is right now
3: Ooh, that's a question
0: Kay. i have some good ones some of them are good <laughs> <laughs> i'm
3: i'm still inclined to say it has to be it for me I want to say yes but include the structural change piece with it Mm -hmm. right it's not just it's not just you know go to therapy it's Go to therapy and let's make sure these systems are let's have the political will the kind of political advocacy to make sure these systems are ready because right right like therapy can do some amazing things for people let's also be honest some therapists can also re-traumatize a lot of people. Like you talk about a client being ready to come to therapy was well, a therapist i better be ready to see that client as mm-hmm, well
0: mm-hmm. if i'm
3: not if i'm asking you about you know trauma if i'm asking you about the things that that are the, the most, you know, the parts of your life that you hide away from everyone else. If I get in there and fuck around, I can do a lot of damage mm-hmm. as well, right? So we have to be make sure that we're not only creating systems that are accessible to people, but also in our training, making sure that we're preparing therapists who are ready to meet the demands and the issues that people are facing in this world, yeah. right? And, and so I think it, it kind of has to be an, an all of the above. Right? I'm not going to knock, you know, increasing awareness for, for mental health um but i think we have to just recognize that that mental health can come in many shapes and forms therapy Mm. kind of is this professionalized thing it's kind of one lane one tool and let's not only you know that that can't be the only tool in the tool belt of mental health advocacy there has to be kind of this more holistic approach even in therapists there has to be this this humility and this recognition that sometimes the services we provide that's not what that person needs or that's not what that community needs Mm. we might need to find some other avenues so can we facilitate healing as opposed to prioritizing our own kind of professional practice, our own professional kind of way of doing things? Um, and I think that's a conversation that, that, in theory, that in some circles we're having, but I think it's one that we need to have a whole lot more um, and have a little bit of, of humility in our own profession, recognizing that, you know, we're not always the answer. Mm. Uh, and and being, being aware of the tools of additional tools that may exist and may be helpful for different people.
0: Oof. yes
2: <laughs> i wanted to like emphasize a little bit that therapy is not always the answer mm. and it's just kind of like so when we say mental health matters and it's like yes yes it does and it's like so that means you need to go to therapy whoa we didn't say all that so it's just like even like these structural changes that do need to take place but also remembering like one of the buzzwords in our field is like social support network you need people that you can count on no. are you are you religious do you go to a church or a mosque or a temple like do you have a community there do you go to a community organization do you know the people your neighbors people in your community like finding that source of support um i'm also reminded of one of our community partners said something along the lines like we are village people like we being black people are village people um if we continue playing this individualistic game we'll fail every single time mm-hmm. But if we come together as a community we can um Find alternative resources, have that like emotional and social support, but also have access to different resources or alternative resources to help have our needs met and also provide for some of those mental health needs as well. So, um, yeah, it's like therapy's cool. I mean, therapy's good for people who want to do that yeah. and it's just like, but it's, it's hard work, which is like why I get like a lot of people are just like mm, not for me. And it's like, yeah, because I'm taking the narrative that you've driven about your entire life disrupting it <laughs> <laughs> and it's just like <laughs> he's just like yeah no or it's just like you know you're here seeing me so clearly something about it isn't working for you and then you have to do the work of rebuilding it and all the Mm -hmm. stuff that you've hidden like you're trying to work through like that's not for everybody maybe right now you just need right now solutions you need like a friend who can help you through that and it's just like and then you get that social support network and that's that or you know you get universal healthcare pass and then that takes off that stressor or you get a job that pays you a living wage <laughs> and <not> that <laughs> off. Wait, a
0: but living yeah. wage in miami okay a a, a, a living wage in, you're making about 80 stacks in miami if you're making a living wage like oh that's that's another living thing
2: <laughs> so context dependent mm. like it is so crazy yeah. like Where I grew up in North Carolina, what I made, and it's just like that was able to keep us comfortable, like middle class. That's great. I lived in New York for two years, and it's just like, oh, I'm working class slash (laughs) poor. Like one of the big reasons I didn't like it. And I was just like, I don't like this. (laughs) I don't don't like renting out something that doesn't have air conditioning (laughs) and like sometimes gas leaks, but oh well, (laughs) I don't like this. So, yeah. What you don't wish. you
0: don't like paying $1200 for a closet? Well,
2: <laughs> That's not fun. <laughs> <laughs> That's not fun today. <laughs> <laughs> not this time around. Maybe
1: next
0: time. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, thank you, thank you for that. Um and oh my goodness. <laughs> I ran to New York. Jesus. Miami is so special. So, <laughs> How um, and uh, something that I was thinking about when you were speaking, when and, and I know that y'all have seen it the wave of DEI training. Everybody's talking diversity, equity, inclusion. Oh, it's, it's just every I, I've never seen so many DEI professionals quote unquote pop up on my Facebook so quick. I'm like oh you, you 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 a professional uh, okay and then uh, and <laughs> the thing
2: andy like racism only started in the summer of
0: 2020 Ooh, george Floyd. did it oh yeah, okay yeah
2: so that's why dei is starting
0: now. oh okay. okay 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 that's what it was 2020 oh oh okay okay but that yeah that that's some bullshit i it's if i sit through oh no and let me not because i will throw something at the table i do have another ready training that i need to participate in um and i'm just like okay here we go here we go here we go but i did have an opportunity to be like hey so is this just another training or is this are we actually following through stuff like what are are we you know bringing out beautiful words what's happening so how are y'all getting more of that dei uh (laughs) that um you know the diversity equity and inclusion uh the mystical words are you getting more training in in those topics have your professors like hey this is because yes see when racism started in 2020 so we're going to talk about racism we're going to talk about you know the the racist practices uh you know mental health and the racist practices that have only started in 2020 have you had like your professors come on and be like so and i know the university of miami has sent out so many emails yeah we were founded in 1926 when the south was very much segregated it was a whites only school first black person on campus 1970 like let's not pretend let us not pretend that the u was not founded completely on the foundation of racism so i love seeing the emails it goes out. Doo-doo-doo, doo-doo-doo, doo-doo-doo. Okay. Ha- so, have um, your professors within the department have ha- like had conversations with you? If so, has that even been like? Is it more of that? Oh, we have to do it because we don't want to get sued. Or listen, this shit is real, and we know we <laughs> we know it's real, and we finally get to talk about it as more as a as a university. So, ha- has it happened?
2: The only thing I have to say about this is that- Our
3: d- program was- Our program was- Oh, go ahead, Sue. Oh, ahead. my bad.
2: Yeah, I was just gonna say, DEI doesn't do shit unless you change the system to make it more hospitable. So it's just like, you can recruit all the diversity and make all the equity and inclusion that you want, but if your system is made for white males, like, mm. of a certain means, then it's just like, then I'm never gonna thrive there. So mm. I don't wanna be included in your shit. Mm. What are you gonna say, Ryan? <laughs> that, was, that was my, that was
3: my I was gonna say you know our program was we were one of the quote unquote good ones we had our like one singular diversity and mental Ooh. health class built into the program already so yeah. you know that's but yeah I mean it's you know you're seeing this push for it but I, I agree with what Cwen said like if DEI it, let's, let's acknowledge some limitations there if we're not changing systems if we're not actually creating spaces for belonging then what the fuck are we doing like you know <laughs>
2: I also have like, these things are written, it's like, I'm reading it and it's just like, this isn't for me, for those who are (laughs) listening, I am black. I am the son of- I'm sorry, I am the daughter of African immigrants. (laughs) Like- I like and then all of these are just like you need to recognize our privilege and da 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 and it's just like you're not talking about like my class privilege or my education privilege no 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 you're talking about white like, privilege which makes this not for me mm. <laughs> like,
0: so mm-hmm. it's, it's
2: also that's also really annoying that it only applies to like certain people like these emails it's just like that's not for me that's for them
0: Girl. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That that's so true. No, that's so true, Steven. You're you wrong. <laughs> and I feel like, this tea, I, I don't know. I just feel like my first versions. I'm so annoyed. Like. Mm what now like for me i'm really tokenized as to some minority or some asian looking person like mm. oh ooh, let's listen to this. So we're, we're good <laughs> like we no. make this presentation
2: we don't want to look what black. oh <laughs> my. stop it stop it don't do that oh, yeah. oh. <laughs> there's this one time i um I, so i was a missionary from the methodist church for a little bit two years and we mm-hmm. had this like we went to a black lives matter rally and they had us they were like oh you guys are new here you guys gotta hold up signs so you know we need five volunteers five volunteers got up held up the sign the director of the program did not like the way it looked because only white volunteers got up i and one other black person are in the program we're the only people of color and the other one she had on a knee brace because she had a softball injury and if i could have made myself invisible in that moment i would have but i was told to get up there and so on the sign even though i was not comfortable and things like that because it didn't matter so, oh um,
1: my god
0: i want to yeah. see. yeah no oh. that's
1: oh you know what Steven? like yeah you guys remember the the gun shooting at landa like yeah. Was, uh, mm-hmm. yeah also go so that was like um like an asian hatred crime so I walked in like a virtual Zoom 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 <laughs> one day and with a bunch of like white folks thing in the profession. So I love them. But the person like who's like hosting that meeting was like, Oh my god, let's listen to Lay and let her talk about how those like EPI hatred crimes have impact on her. I'm, like, oh Like you said, Steven, if I could make myself a the bit at that moment I'd
2: I like. how is that like
0: what is the <laughs> logic in and i don't understand where the logic is and going back to the comment that you made about having to witness the murder of george floyd i have not seen the video i have not seen the video i saw pictures and i i couldn't i cannot to this day i will not watch that video i'm not going to watch that man get murdered but then you all these all these things are coming out all these things have been happening but now okay so you're the expert in this so we need you to carry the entire room the entire space in through this journey and you're just like i'm just trying to process everything that's going on right now um can 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 i take space because shit is traumatizing and i'm not trying i don't need to educate you thousands and thousands i don't know was it two billion dollar endowment y'all can find somebody to educate yourself because i i then why are we doing this why why are you putting it on the shoulders of yeah that tokenism is just absurd i was in um a webinar yesterday and (laughs) i had to tell my advisor i'm like yo you ruined me because i cannot sit through these webinars and just be like okay that was cool yes yes because it's one after the other right and this was just like okay so we're not talking about decolonization we're not talking about how the power dynamics within child welfare we're not talking about you know reflexivity and understanding how uh, folks that work within that system so we're not talking about all this stuff But we're talking about okay so yeah you know we're gonna you know listen to the youth listen to the families and okay so we're not talking about how child welfare system has impacted them generations upon generations we're not talking about that either we're t- tap dancing around the issue and of course the the go-to person was this black female who was a foster care alum who was aged out of foster care and it's like so yeah no uh, talk about your experience on that and This and they are just like Okay, clearly she's already, you know, well-versed enough to navigate this problem. but, like, for the students, the the, the new youth, I've had youth tell me, it's like, yo, I, I just really get tired of sharing my story, because everybody wants to listen to it, everybody wants to just sit there, and it's like, yeah, tell us about the the craziest time in your life where you were completely vulnerable, and you have, and, and it does, don't worry if you don't know anybody in this room, we're all listening, we're all watching you, and it's like, Okay, oh, uh, yeah. okay, so <laughs> I, 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 oh my god, that's what I think about you know, DEI and the tokenism that's uh, connected to it. Yeah, if we're not ready to change systems, then just stop the bullshit. I agree 100%. Stop, it, it's like everybody in the mother had, oh, Nike's coming out with the Black Lives Matter gear, all the basketball players, and it's like, bruh, okay, so someone's making money, okay, so that now it's. it's now it's okay because somebody's making money out of it great great so uh, i don't know we went down to 10 let me see what am i gonna ask okay. now i don't know i'm, I'm upset now <laughs>
2: <laughs> did you hear about what happened at unc Oh, with uh, no. the
0: professor
2: who was denied okay so Nicole she was the one journalist who was behind the 1619 project oh yeah i don't know if you read it in the new york times or i listened to the podcast I'd heard it was about really it. Great. yeah i'm like delineating the ways it's just like let me tell you like slavery's legacy and every aspect of american culture like american culture is black culture because mm-hmm. of how much of it is rooted in mm-hmm. that and so she did all that and she was an alum of unc um so one i graduated from undergrad at unc I am now ashamed of that because of what happened with her um, the department of journalism was just like we want this person as a ten-year professor the chancellor was like wait yeah. we want this person as a tenure professor yeah, yeah, yeah. the board of governors said no yeah. and it's just like, was like what do you mean and it's just like this woman has a Pulitzer and a MacArthur Genius Grant why, why not and it's like when you talk about that system I was like okay so I don't like these people let's vote them out go on the website to see how you end up on the board of governors Mm. board of governors or board of trustees are selected by other board of governors members so it's like of course you're going to get your other conservative like great grandson of a kkk member like friends up on this board and then like so that's where most of them come from and then four of them are selected by the north carolina general assembly and north carolina has been going through some political thing (laughs) um so it's just kind of like oh so like they made this terrible decision most of the unc community is very like upset about it and now i can't even change it because like this system this organization is such an internal like it's just so it's like a closed circuit Mm -hmm. there's no way to get new blood in or people Mm -hmm. who actually reflect the modern values of unc like yeah and we know that that's
0: that's exactly how the system was created that's exactly what it's supposed
2: to work yeah
0: no it's exactly how it's supposed to work um and i you know and you were talking about and lay you have mentioned intersectionality many times and that's something that we were speaking about um during the community organizing series um yeah you can't just you know and just kind of divulging um you know a, a Taking a left from what everything that you just said, to even just real quick, um, not even it's you know we're talking about the 1619 and black folk in the U.S. and I come, I you know I started, I, I am very vocal on the fact that I am not descendant of um, blacks in the United States. I'm descendant of African slaves from the Caribbean, so especially the Spanish-speaking islands. And if you look back at history, though like my ancestors were brought. Earlier than the 1600s, because the Atlantic slave, the Atlantic slave trade started in the 1500s. So you have a bunch, you know. When you talk about intersectionality, I don't think people really appreciate the fact that, y- and I don't know if people, if it's what's the what's hard for people to understand is that you can have multiple components to your identity. Not only that, but then the generations before you that passed down their trauma, passed down their histories, passed down their fear of, of everything new, passed down their fear of anybody who's different. And with talking about mental health as more of a political, uh, um, a more po- political than anything else, how has, Practitioners, do y'all address these intersections of trauma, these these different worlds that folks come through, but yet they've gone through not similar trauma. I, I, you know, it's they come through similar traumas processed in different ways um, because of the cultures that they come from. Do you um, do more of that social? activist work do you do more of that political work to address the systems that have been created to keep folks down and i don't know if i made that question clear because it's thinking more of mental health practitioners as social act social justice activists seeing you know um Folks being, you know, and UNC and not being in a given tenure is, you know, that the higher prestige. But then you have folks that are just trying to acclimate to this world, trying to not assimilate, but just be seen and not be hated for what they are. And those intersections of my identity, you know, you're going to be working with Asian folks that have um, suffered through trauma, women that have suffered through trauma you know lgbtq um populations that have suffered th- through trauma and they've suffered through trauma because of political agendas so are um mental health practitioners should mental health practitioners be more um seen or have more training in social justice activism um, but yeah and, and i don't know if i made sense and because this is just we keep talking politics we keep talking about the different identities and i'm just wondering if there needs to be a pivot or there needs to be more supplemental training on being a political activist for the clients that you serve
1: yeah absolutely so i i Andy, i understand your question is like how do i see my role as a per, uh, mental health professional and in terms of facilitating this uh, social justice and um, advocate for social justice and also for my clients as well. All, um, I think it's all from an uh, institutional perspective, and but also like a clinical perspective so i definitely agree i'm voting yes for like more social justice and active change in the program from the institutional level because again i think dei is not enough if you don't see the underlying power differences you know that's embedded in in, in, you know in this DEI, like so called DEI differences. Um, so, I want to give you an example. Uh, at my job, I've been reading literature on um, elementary schools, like uh, math identity, like elementary school students' mathematics identity. Um, you know, for some of the kids, they would like to take the leadership role in their, in their classrooms, but whether their action trying to take the leadership role was accepted or rejected by their peers or their teachers, it's actually largely dependent on their identity. Mm -hmm. So those from like traditionally more disadvantaged groups like women, persons of color, or like some low SES families, it actually can be rejected more if they were to take that, vocalize themselves as this uh, leader role in the class. Mm -hmm. So I really, really shocking. So it's not just a mental health issue, but it's like, it's it's really like, Day to day influences from from the school system and probably from their peers, from from social relationships. So how can one individual not be influenced by those, you know, like day to day impacts? That, like if, if they grow up and starting to question themselves about, like, oh, um, do I really deserve <laughs> this? Is what I want? Mm-hmm. And I, really for myself, I don't blame them for that. So I think my role as a therapist is to really pointing out, okay, look, this is how you've been treated in the past. And those are like really deeply rooted in this country's historical reasons. And it's not your fault. So I think like stop individual blaming is the first step and just make it aware of, you know, this is the whole picture of what happened in the past. And so that person could start to separate the historical reasons, the systematic reasons, and individual agency. So they would know what I need to accept and what I can change in my stories. So I think from a clinical perspective, and that's my two wants to it out there thank you larry so what one thing i think
3: when i hear that question too is like this training for inside the therapy room can we do that kind of outside the therapy as well because i think you know even in like our ethical standards and all that we talk about um advocating for social justice and i think that's that's a nice thing to say it's like pretty words to have kind of behind it in Mm -hmm. our in our values and everything but we don't necessarily talk a lot about what does it mean to actually advocate for someone what does it mean to advocate for a client what does it mean to advocate for change like so i think in terms of is there more training even even talking about like what does advocate advocacy mean what does that look like what are the actions you're actually taking um, i certainly think our field our field could use more of that and and in the therapy room i think there are opportunities to do that i, I agree with a lot of what what lay was saying I appreciate a lot of what lay was saying like there are some maybe subtle ways if a client kind of opens the door where you can kind of as has asked these questions and and get it really because i work from what's called the liberation health framework it kind Mm -hmm. of stems from social work but the pieces of that is deconstructing dominant worldviews and dominant Mm. ideologies and i think particularly with my clients that kind of embody more privilege embody more dominant identities that's a huge piece of our work they give me a it's always this question: where does that come from? Kind of, what's the the dominant narrative there that that's kind of socialized you? And that with clients can be a kind of helpful and powerful way to start to reframe some of those things and kind of uh, shift some of those you know patterns of king. Um, but but again, I think that's something that we could use more work in as a field of training on how to do that. How do we kind of blend this? this activist, this social justice lens with this, we're holding space for a client and and kind of, um, you know, they're supposed to take the lead and where they want to go is where we go. It's it's an interesting balance, so.
0: It is, it is. Thank you, Ryan.
2: Definitely want to echo what Ryan and Leigh were saying. I
3: definitely do feel like
2: there could be more social justice advocacy, like, Training for us, but I also know like me as a person and my social justice journey, I can't leave that out of the room. Like my theoretical orientation really supports like you are a full person in the room with the client. So it's just like that dynamic is going to be different if someone else is their therapist. So with, I've only been seeing clients for a semester, but um, so far what that's looked like particularly is like challenging dominant narratives. So I had a couple clients come in who had worries around productivity. And it's just like, which is, you know, a reason around capitalism, but it's just kind of like, what are your expectations for your productivity? Why are your expectations for your productivity? When, well, you know, you're actually a human and not a robot. So like, you know, what is gonna work for you? And really kind of like challenging these dominant narratives internally, and then finding out ways like, how can you exist in the system, you know, free of that particular, um, like, I guess, particular influence on you. Mm. Um, It also helps with, like, some systems work as well. Just, like, psychoeducation around systems as well, Mm. Just kind of like, okay, like, yeah, that person has a lot of money, but let's talk about all the ways that, you know, their grandparents and their great-grandparents and inherited wealth, and, like, no one really ever starts from zero and makes it up that high. Like, Mm. you always have something. Um, it's just a myth that America tells you to keep you impoverished and to like <laughs> make you feel like yeah you're poor but you can still make it one day and it's just like not what the systems you have in place. <laughs> oof. So, oof, my bad. No, <laughs> no.
0: <not, laughs> hey, hey. We're, we're talking. we talking facts today. Uh, <laughs> so <laughs> let, I if you can possibly list and you've mentioned uh, a few uh, throughout our conversation, list three things that you want to do differently from your predecessors, from your current educators, based off of your, you know, your experiences, your education, everything that you've seen. If you can give me three short points, or if you, know, if you go really long, that's fine, that's fine, that's fine. What are three things that you would like to change um, and see for the future? That's a good one, I have to think
1: about it.
2: Yeah, I was like, I can give you number one right now, but two and three are, like, yeah. number one for me right now is, like, making academia more humane. Oof. Um, I was just kind of like, for students who... It's, like, the hardest part for me for going to a PhD program was deciding to go to a PhD program. Mm. I didn't know any black professors. We- my first black female professor is currently my advisor in my PhD program. She was the one. The first black professor I met in my master's program. Like, you know, there was no predis... Like, there was no... Um, I couldn't see it to believe it. Mm. I was just like, oh, I think I'd be good at this, but I'm not sure if it's the right fit for me. So it's already hard to make the decision to get here. And to just kind of like be a little bit more like counseling of like the whole person. It's just like, okay, if you're gonna make us live off of stipends, Mm. then at least like give information about how to get food stamps in the area you know so that way you can afford to live and it's just like have partnerships with apartment complexes that no graduate students are responsible like making and then like also with work it's just like so this is the deadline but also understand if it doesn't get here at that time it's okay take care of you first and reminding reminding take care of you first like i am going to put yeah that's that would be it for me that'd be number one i will think of two and three
0: one is good one is good mm-hmm. the solid one
1: yeah i want to build on that i feel like in doctoral programs there need to be a course or maybe course is not enough but at least it's a good start of like seeing your limitations and reflect on your expectations and why you're putting yourself as a, like a paper machine and also to judge like tenure track professors or doing this like assessment process like more holistically because mm-hmm. i' heavy part of this is really focused it's, it's a fault on publications. so if you don't make yourself a paper machine you don't get tenure track you don't get promoted blah 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 so i like, yeah that environment is i don't want to use the word toxic but it's not healthy mm-hmm. you know for, for for folks who are intended to go into the academia world to, to be a whole person aside from the work so it's not a friendly environment to so think about changing that uh, like the standard of assessing faculties So probably like facilitating more difficult dialogues in social justice and diversity in the program. Um, I echo a lot with what Steven just said, uh, you don't see a lot of black professors in doctoral programs I, uh, the one part I find frustrating is when I got into the program, I am, like I said, I'm a biracial person, a part of me Asian, but I feel like largely I've been pigeonholed into, oh, so you must be good at uh, researching Chinese person. Like, oh my God. Polish. So, I, I mean, if I express that as my research interest, I think that's totally fine. But uh, I feel like I've been made assumptions upon or labeled upon without me saying anything, but just me being a person who's different looking okay, you know the, the majority of the folks in my programs oh you must be exposed for the Chinese folks i like ah oh. so I really hope that is part of training and education like needs to happen in doctoral programs
3: okay? yeah. for me I'll say there's there's kind of two things that are that are coming to mind I think Emphasizing first and foremost that power and knowledge has to flow through relationship and community. Mm. I think like in academia there's oftentimes this like individual expertise thing that we try at least in my experience, it's like this individualized expertise. I have my research topic, my research interest, I have my work and like we're gonna go with that. Um and there's also like that said has to be kind of critiqued for that being in, actually emphasizing that being in the community with people um, and being in relationship with people is the only way to kind of engage in this like knowledge production thing that we talk about doing. I mm. think um, kind of the way of being in academia that, that at least through graduate school I haven't really felt as much. Um, And then for me, the other piece, just given my research interests on on kind of whiteness and white supremacy, just being able to name and recognize more fully and more explicitly how white supremacy still permeates and was used to set up the academic system and how Mm. that stays with us and influences the system that we have today. Um, I think that's a huge piece of it. We love to study white supremacy for stuff outside of academia, but actually turning that mirror around and looking at the ways in which we're perpetuating it At the systems level, at the individual level, in all these different ways, is something that I think that the history of it, the present-day manifestation of it, is something that's so important in 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 the field and in the work that we're going in.
0: Ryan said, "Stop talking about the outside and look within." Okay, okay. (laughs) So yeah, and the the whole we are a whole person. We are a whole person. I think that's the biggest thing that just needs to be said over and over again we are a whole person we are not our job we are a whole person so yes that is it for our episode thank you to my amazing amazing guests for taking time out of their day to have this very important conversation thank you thank you thank you thank you thank you you all for being here as always i am andy lanera and this is thoughts from 305 take it easy